First on film entertainment, very, very big week, a huge movie. Just trying to think, uh, well, we'd have to go back to Oppenheimer and films like that that we have seen, good fortune to have seen at IMAX. We're talking about Dune Part 2 and Denis Villeneuve, what a masterful filmmaker that man is. With me, Jackie Hamilton, Peter Krauss, Greg King, and Peter, let's start with you. I remember seeing On Sondi and was blown away. That was my film of the year when that came out. Well, that was about 2010 from recollection, and he keeps on doing it, doesn't he? He's an excellent director. He's Canadian. We should uh, make that very clear. And, yeah, uh, yeah Denis really fashioned some great screenplays. What, what's been your favourite work of his, if you can sort of, uh, off the top? What, 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 because I still think On Sondi was so surprising for me that I couldn't get it out of my head, and that's the sign of a good movie. It is, and I agree with you. On Sondi, that uh, family drama, which uh, became something quite twisting, was uh, such a clever film. Mm. But the fact is that he can go from there to something like Dune and both become plausible. Again, the sign of somebody who's on top of his game. Greg King, are you a big fan too? Well, I, I really liked Prisoners, that film with yeah. um, Jack Dylan and Hugh Jackman. I thought that was his best film. Okay. And Jackie, have you seen much of Dennis Villeneuve's work? I'm just trying to recollect what I have seen, but... Um... I think um, Dune Part 1 and Dune Part 2 have kind of overtaken everything else he's done just for the moment. Well, I mean, the immediacy, of course, that's that's the, the issue here. And you sort of recollect and you think, oh, my golly, that was 10 years ago. That was 14 years ago, whatever it might be. But, okay, let, let's start with if you – Greg, you, you read a lot. Did you read the Frank Herbert novel? No, I – Science fiction is not one of my preferred genres, so I don't really read much science fiction and I haven't read Dune or any of its spin-off novels. Okay, so when you approach a movie, well, initially with Dune in 2021 and now Dune Part 2, do you come with any foreknowledge? In other words, it can be quite a convoluted sort of plot line unless you've got some... Well, I came with pre-knowledge because I'd seen the David Lynch film from 1984, so I thought, you know, what was going to happen? What, what about you in terms of, of that, Jackie? Are, are you somebody who'd seen Dune initially, the, the earlier version or not? No. Again, like Greg, I mean, uh, even more than Greg, uh, science fiction, like horror, for me, just I just don't looking, go looking for these films. Um, I, I, have, I did remember Arrival. Um, yes. Is, is um, the director's previous work from 2016, which I absolutely loved and i've probably seen that three or four times um since then and really really enjoyed that film and that is science fiction but that had a very human link in it um not so much june one and two okay now peter you you i mean a, a history a, a story to history of cinema in your mind so going going into a movie like dune and go back to 2021 what were your expectations and did they exceed your expectations once you exited IMAX? Well, certainly they did exceed my expectations, but I, like Greg, I'd seen the uh, David Lynch yes. uh, version uh, of Dune. And, and for me, always a film has to stand alone. I don't care right. if it's adapted from a book or whatever. And, and, and his first Dune, Denis' first uh, Dune, was very good. 
And I was hoping that the second one, or the part two, would be just as good. And it certainly, as uh, you asked me, exceeded my expectations. Yeah, and I would totally agree with that assessment. I, I, I came out of this thinking, I really, I want to see part three tomorrow. <laughs> no, and that, that's, a, that's a really good sign, though. Greg, did you, and again, we'll, we'll go into the depth of this in the next few minutes, but did you come out of this thinking this is better than part one? Not Entirely. No, I thought it took a while to get started, actually, with too much politics, um, mysticism, religion at the start. It was a bit slow to get off the ground for me. Oh, that's interesting. And Jackie, what about you? Um, I saw the two of them fairly equal in um, lack of interest from me and dullness and um, oh, overlooted. Oh. And, yeah, I don't. I, they were about equal for my part. Yeah. All right. Well, look, let's go into a little bit of detail because... The actual novel upon which this is based, the Frank Herbert novel, came out in 1965. And in this Dune part two, in this particular instalment of the movie, the exiled Duke of House Atreides, whose name is Paul Atreides, played by Timothy Chalamet, establishes himself as a leader of men. And I'm talking men and women, but the generic men. The freemen who live on the desert planet Arrakis may be sceptical of Paul Atreides, Atreides rather at first, but Paul puts paid to their misgivings with series of acts of bravery because he's put through a number of trials. And in his corner is a tribal head of the Freeman, a guy called Stilgar, played by Javier Bardem. He believes in a particular prophecy of a mother and son bringing prosperity to Arrakis. And to that end, he helps elevate Atreides' mother, Jessica, that's the role filled by Rebecca Ferguson, to reverend mother and in so doing she inherits the memories of her female ancestors then you've got a young and feisty freeman warrior called charney played by zendaya who develops respect for atreides and becomes his lover but dark forces continue to gather and the war against house harkonnen escalates so the evil architect is the ruthless baron Vladimir Harkonnen's nephew, Rabin, played by Dave Batista. His grip, though, on valuable spice production is loosening. And then stepping up is Baron's other nephew, Fade Rautha, played by Austin Butler. You cannot, I, I, I defy anyone to recognize Austin Butler with all the makeup, mind you. I, I found this quite remarkable as a movie. I, I, I thought it not only developed the narrative, but it excels in the special effects department. And the filmmakers have pulled out all stops and how. The desert scenes, coupled with the costuming, the, the incredible sound that you get at IMAX, nothing short of spectacular. And I found the impact was immediate and ultra consistent. So the director, the co-writer, Dennis Villeneuve's mastery of his craft, I found magnificent to watch. The big names in the cast, they're all up for the action and the subterfuge in the plotting. I really believe that Chalamet is an actor of a generation. He makes for a compelling lead. Zendaya stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with him as Chennai. And I'm a really big rap for Rebecca Ferguson as the Oracle Jessica. Javier Bardem, well, he's got a key role as Stilgar. And there's no questioning Josh Brolin's loyalty as Gurney Halleck. I mentioned Austin Butler, incredibly menacing as Fade Rautha, but unrecognisable. And Florence Pugh quite dignified as Princess Arulu, uh, Arulan. Also, I want to mention Charlotte Rampling brings appropriate arrogance and entitlement 
to Reverend Mother Mahayam. And I do recall saying this after the first instalment, but I think it's worth repeating now. If you're lucky enough to have the chance to see Dune Part 2 in IMAX or at IMAX, please do. It's genuinely an immersive experience. Best way to see the film, without any question. Regardless, though, please view it on the biggest screen possible with the greatest sound quality. And as I said, I reckon Part 2 is even better than the original. I wish I could see the next one as soon as I possibly can, but obviously we're going to have to wait a few years before that comes on board. So it's a fabulous movie. I would urge you to see it. And whether or not you like science fiction, this is masterful filmmaking. Is it not, Peter? Definitely agree with you. It is masterful filmmaking. It's so interesting to see it at IMAX because I was watching carefully as the screen expanded and contracted many, many times during the screening from the full IMAX to the standard um, 70 millimetre IMAX. And and that means that you get uh, these massive vistas and, and massive scenes from time to time. And sometimes they're very short. And at other times you get the more uh, personal sort of dramas that uh, that come in. Look, this is a film, basically, if you, if you boil it down, about warring factions, about control, about power. And it's also about women and their impact on uh, the situation that the men seem to face uh, in particular as the film develops. So what Villeneuve has done is created uh, a, an excellent family drama, which in some respects is not necessarily too different from Ensemble's, which I found so interesting. And, and what he's done with uh, this continuation of Dune is to really pack in lots more uh, special effects, the sandworms, which are incredible, um, and spectacle into what boils down to something that is about family control and, as we see near the end of the film, about power and how that power can corrupt or not corrupt, as the case might be. So certainly we, uh, I'm looking forward to the, the next instalment, if uh, they can afford to make one, but uh, I, I was very impressed by Dune Part 2. I heard from somebody, Peter, that the third part has already been made, but I'm not sure that's true or not, or whether that was just hearsay. So I, because I mean, one of the things that I'm always conscious of when a new movie comes out is has time gone by because an actor becomes older, right? And if you're meant to pick up the threads immediately after the first installment, which June 2 does, if they make it six or seven years later, uh, even with the best of makeup, uh, that that may end up showing on the big screen. So I'm not sure whether that's that's just hearsay. Have any of the others amongst you heard that the third part has already been made? No, I haven't heard that. But if it's set in the year ten thousand or so, does it matter? <laughs> yes. What what's what's the a thousand years between drinks? Yes, fair enough. <laughs> okay. So uh, Greg King, you your views of Dune Part Two. Well, I agree with some of what you said there. Special effects are fantastic there. The epic scope, um, brilliant. The sound design is also quite overwhelming there. Um, and there's a sequence in the middle of the film when he shoots in black and white a sort of gladiatorial contest in the middle of this arena there um, with all the crowd up and there. I, it sort of was reminiscent of some of the um, Nuremberg stuff from the Nazis, um, you know, 70 years ago or something. Uh, but it's a very action-packed film, especially in the second half of the film. 
agree that Timothy Chalamet is a very strong lead. He's got those piercing blue eyes that come across on the screen as well. Uh, Austin Butler, yeah, he was great and menacing in his role there as a bit of a villain there. A great cast in the film. But I just had a bit of trouble with the start of the film when it was a little bit slow in developing this landscape, this world there, with all the mysticism, religion, politics playing out there. It didn't quite grab grab me as I expected part two to do so, and it took a while to warm up to the fact, you know, where, where the story actually kicked in there. Great special effects, with, especially with the sandworms, and some of the action scenes were quite spectacular, and the sound design quite overwhelming as well. Uh, yeah, so, look, it's a good film for me. On a par with part one, you can quite top it for me. Well, it's two hours, 46 minutes, Greg. So do you think it felt stretched? I think it was a little bit long, yes. Hmm. Okay. Jackie, you obviously are not a fan. So where, where, where do you sort of see Dune in the pantheon of movies that you've seen? Uh, well, look, I'm going to agree with actually most of what Greg said just then. Um, regarding the cast and the and the special effects, the cinematography, the the most of the CGI, I mean, just mind blowing, really. And uh, agree with you also that if you're seeing it on the IMAX screen, I mean, that's going to just double the hit that you get from it. Um, the cast is great, big names, and also they do really well. And yes, their faces, uh, especially as you say, Chalamet and Zendaya, and Austin Butler, I didn't even know it was him until I yes. I was looking forward to seeing him in this film. And I didn't I didn't know it was him for the whole film. Um however, what lost it for me was the storyline. I was just not drawn into the lives of these people. Um, as I say, I don't I don't like sci-fi anyway, and to be to to um for me to like a sci-fi film, I'd still have to have a connection with the sinner, something relatable about it. And I just didn't relate to these people at all. Um, what they were going through, the war scenes, like, you know, after you've seen it for a few minutes, there was just too much of that for my mind. And in two hours, 46, I suppose you have to fill it with something um, the sound was huge. I mean, oh, well, the, we it, were we were shaking. Shaking, <laughs> yes. You were, I mean, it was almost like what, what's that uh, version where you have have moving seats in? You know, as, as it's around. Which yeah, yeah. for earthquake. Yes, but you know, once once you've had one war scene, uh, you know, blowing up and explosions and shaking chairs and the big sound and all that. I mean, once you've done it once, you don't need to. I mean, I just I, it was. There was too much of that for me. It needed did, to did you like on. the biting of the sandworms or did you not like that? Look, we knew about the sandworms already. Um, yes. my, I mean, I've got this logic thing going on where if you're riding a sandworm because you want to get from A to B, how do you tell the sand? I mean, you can't steer it with one of those little pieces of rope. How do you tell it the direction you're going? Hello? <laughs> yes. You know? Well, but... Like, but... Well, you're just going where the sandworm wants to go. And, yeah. I mean, you're about the size of a pimple on a pumpkin, so it didn't work for me at all. I, li I like the challenge where Timothy Chalamet had to um, had to learn, had to prove himself mm. by controlling the sandworm. But after that, I'm thinking, well, you know, if you're going to hop on a tram, you know where you're going. 
if you're yes, writing a sad word. I, I suppose that I, what I was thinking is, well, he's, he's pointed... Or did I miss something? <laughs> well, no, you're, you're pointed in the right direction, aren't you? You're not going backwards, right? So, so yeah, it's kind of like riding a, a, a bucking, bucking... Yes, but you, you're, you're riding it, but you're not controlling it. You're not controlling what direction it's going. Peter, do you know? Do you have some knowledge here? I, I, I'm not up on my reading with sandworms, but I must do so. <laughs> that, 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 that's shameful, Peter. That is absolutely <laughs> disgraceful, right? I mean, you, you come to a program like this totally unprepared. No? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Peter's in one yet. I haven't read up on my sandworms literature either. Gregory, right, go to the back of the class, right? And you're, you're back to the wall, right? Or no, the other way around. I, I, suppose, I suppose it's unfair to bring, you know, a logical thinking mind to a film like this. Yeah. You have to, you have to go along with it. You have to believe you have to, but maybe that's why sci-fi isn't my favorite, far from my favorite genre, because I, 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 I need more. I I think (laughs) I need to be able to relate to it. Jackie, I think you need to see lots more documentaries, right? That, that, (laughs) yeah. All right. So look, let's, let's, yes, let's, uh, Get, start with you because you'll be lowballing this. So, I, I want to know what your lowball score is for Dune Part Two, which is in cinemas now. M rated one hundred and sixty-six minutes. Okay, I'll give it a six out of ten. Greg King, seven to seven and a half. Eight for me, Peter. Uh, I just want to mention also in the cast: Leah Sadu and Stellan Skarsgård. It, it is a terrific cast, and oh. the music by Hans Zimmer. Uh, yeah. as always, uh, adds to the film. I give the film 8 out of 10. There you go. So we we are at 1, Peter. Oh, my golly. There's something <laughs> deeply distressing about that for me. Uh, it must be something in the sandworms. It, it might be, yes. So, folks, uh, I, what I would say is if you are not familiar with Part 1, do not, you, you've got to familiarise yourself with Part 1 before seeing part two. There are some cinemas around town this weekend that are playing both back yeah. to back. Yes, which I think is a really good idea. It's kind and, of like... And with hot weather, it's probably a good idea to spend five and a half hours in the cinema. But there's not hot weather this weekend. It's supposed to be... No, during the week, it's getting hot, I think. Yeah. yeah. But, but but having said that, it's it's kind of like seeing Harry Harry Potter, right? Seeing the two parts, one after another, etc. So yeah, I think it's a, a very good idea. Okay, we are on. Now, going... there's a good idea for a film: Harry Potter and the Sandworms. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, let's move on. J Radio Eight FM to a phenomenal title for a movie. Now, let's be honest: when you're going to name something, uh, it's kind of like what, what was that? Uh, was it a movie about Volvos? They're they're boxy, but they're good. This is called Humanistic Vampire Seeking Consenting Suicidal Person. Right, so it's saying as it is. Uh, now, okay, when you see something like that, do you want to go along and see it, or does it make you rush in the other direction? What do you reckon, Jackie? Just the title. Um, as soon as it's got the word vampire in it, I'm not interested. Okay. Vampires and zombies are not my territory, just like uh, sci-fi. Ha- however, I like quirky titles. You do. But okay. I think this title gives away too much of the story. Ah, okay. Well, seeing you don't like vampires or zombies, just for you, I'm going to Sydney shortly and I'm going to see Zombie the Musical, okay? And I'll, I'll bring... I'll, I'll bring... When's that on? Pardon me? When's that on? 
it's on this month. Yeah. So I'm going, I'm going to, well, okay. So I'm going. I think the only zombie film I've liked is that Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Was that Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Yes. Yes, it was. I liked that. That was fun. But that is the only one I've really liked. <laughs> what about the um, one with Nicholas Holt, Wall, Wall Rock? Warm body. Yeah, but that's, uh, that's vampires. Yeah, but, you, but hang on. Is he a zombie or a vampire? No, he's a zombie. Oh, was he? Oh, I love yeah, Warm Bodies. He's living on Julian with zombies, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought oh. Oh, okay. They were too. Okay. Um, like that's my that that is my favourite zombie film. Then, so that's <laughs> two two decent zombie films out of the whole genre, and we'll talk about this one. Humanistic vampire seeking consenting suicidal person. Greg, I'm going up to Sydney for the opening of West Side Story on Sydney Harbour. That is annually, as you know, there is a particular show on Sydney Harbour that's called Handa Opera, H-A-N-D-A. And this year it's West Side Story, which I've had the good fortune to see many times, but never on Sydney Harbour. What date is that? Uh, we, do, do you need to know this now? Okay. 20, the, it starts in late March. Why, why, why is the date important? Uh, I was thinking going for Sydney that weekly where there's no football in Melbourne. Okay. Well, okay. Well, all right, so that the, well then let me let me put twenty first of. Pardon me, just asking me to hang on. I'm hanging on. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> hey, hey, this is like a personal phone call here. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It is. It is like okay, so we're all eavesdropping. Thank you. Yes, you're allowed to eavesdrop. Peter, jump in any time. The, the, the situation is that the official opening of the Handa Opera is the twenty second of the month 22nd of march okay. i'm i'm seeing there are some shows that are not going to come to melbourne to the best of my knowledge and i'm seeing all of them so uh, apart from the this is for anybody who's interested in doing this please go ahead and do it because i think they're all going to be fantastic national theater live is brilliant whenever you see it national theater in the uk it's just it's the bee's knees and I've had the good fortune to be there, see three shows when I was in London many years ago now. I thought it was great. They have got a new show, which is at, I think it's called Theatre Royal in Sydney. It is called Theatre Royal, if I'm not mistaken. I'm doing this off the top, so pardon me if I screw anything up, but I don't believe I am. They uh, have got a new show called the Learman Trilogy, L-E-H-M-A-N Trilogy, which is supposed to be outstanding. So uh, Alex, that was on National Theatre Live on screen a few years ago from uh, from the English uh, performance. So I've seen you know, the Lehman trilogy. Oh, uh, and and was it as outstanding as? Don't tell me anything about it. But was it as outstanding as I am imagining it is? It is very impressive. Yes. Okay. So that's that's come to Sydney, Greg. So you should try and see that. It's a long show. I think it's about three hours twenty minutes, including more than I think there's there might be more than one interval. But anyway. Uh, so that's that's the second thing I'm seeing. The third thing I'm seeing is this musical. It's the only musical that we haven't seen that's in Sydney at the moment, which is just starting or starting in the next few days, which is Zombie the Musical. And then, you know how David Williamson as a playwright has been prolific. And for many, many decades, whenever there was a new David Williamson play, especially MTC or whatever, people rushed to go and see it. He has, he's a, 
I'm not sure how old he is, but he's not he's not a young man anymore. He's come out of I I don't know whether you call it semi retirement or whatever to write a new piece with Georgie Parker in the lead role, no less. And I'm seeing that play as well. So four days I'm going up there for four plays slash musicals, and I'm going to see Essendon play Sydney at the SCG or Sydney play Essendon at the SCG. So that's 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 my four days with my wife in Sydney. So I reckon you should join me, Greg. Not not join us, but you should go up there. Yeah, absolutely. Are you yeah. saying hello? There's silence. No, I said yes, fair enough, but I can't go to classes till school holiday time. Right, and I'm not sure when school holiday time is, but and then they started Easter. Yes, end of March. End of March. Okay. So if you can get, I mean, I, I'll talk to you off record, shall we say, or off, <laughs> off this, this particular podcast. Like three more people later. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Um, all right. So and Alex and David himself. Williamson is eighty-two years old. There you go. I mean, and that's why I think every look, it's it's phenomenal bookings for this show. I've got to tell you, Jackie. Like I found it very hard to get one seat. I got two in the end, but very very difficult. So. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, I think Georgie Parker being in a lead role uh, certainly would help that. And this is one of the frustrations that I have, guys, uh, and I use the term guys generically, is there is so much good stuff happening in both cities. And at times they don't transpose. They don't, we don't get to see what city does. So you either, you either sort of pay for an airfare and get up there and pay for accommodation, which is not cheap, I might say. Uh, we're staying in the heart of Sydney. Um, so, you know, you either do that or you, you miss out. And I, I, I often have FOMO, right? So I, I want to go along and see these things. And I usually, I usually connect when, when I'm, you have the good fortune of being invited by Opera Australia to see one of their productions. And, uh, that's kind of why I'm doing it at this time of the year. And usually Hand or Opera takes place in March. So that's something to bear in mind. So let's talk now about humanistic vampire seeking consenting suicidal person, which is rated M and goes for 91 minutes. Now, this is a vampire movie that is sensitive and darkly comedic, and we've already referenced sort of movies of this ilk that are like that. That's when you, I mean, that's very much what you get with this film. You've got Sasha played by Sarah Montpetit, different from other vampires in her family, and I would say from bloodsuckers in general, as we've come to know them. She resiles at horror. Her fangs haven't come through. And she relies upon what are called baggies. So she sucks on blood bags taken from kills made by her mother, played by Sophie Cadu, and her father, Steve Laplanty. Right? So they're kills that these two have made. Her dad is more understanding about Sasha's failure to step up that is her mum, and her mum's really at wit's end. Eventually, they farm her out to her cousin, Denise, played by Naomi O'Farrell, who maintains that she'll knock Sasha into shape. And she isn't into giving Sasha any free blood like her parents do. And she's in no doubt that she will teach her how to stand on her own feet. Sasha then chances upon a nice guy called Paul, Felix Antoine Bernard. He is a senior at high school and he works at a bowling alley and he's constantly bullied. For as long as he's known it, Paul has been suicidal. He wants to die. Sasha watches him try to take his own life and fail. The pair connects, but Sasha can't bring herself to put the bite on him 
even though he knows she's a vampire and he wants her to. Now, there is a lot to like about the unusual treatment given to a subject that's been around for as long as cinema. And, you know, I think back as far as Nosferatu, you know, being the 1922 German silent horror movie, an adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. This one has been co-written with Christine Doyon and directed by Ariane Louis Cies. And it's this is not like Bram Stoker's Dracula or Nosferatu. It was born out of Louis Cies's, uh, well, desire, shall we say it, to tame her anxieties about death. And she's imposed a very human and respectful element into the movie, which also serves as a coming-of-age story. Yes, Sasha is acting against type, but how does she fit into her own skin without selling out? I really like the quiet confidence that Sarah Montpetit injected into her role. She comes across as a person wrestling with the guilt of knowing what she must do to stay alive, at least as a vampire, but not wanting to hurt others. And there's also a Romeo and Juliet element to this script as she meets and is attracted to Paul, who clearly has a death wish. And like Montpetit, there's a restraint about Felix Antoine Bernard, which suits Paul perfectly, and he comes across as this decent guy who simply doesn't fit into this world. By contrast, Naomi O'Farrell makes it clear in her performance that Denise is driven by her bloodlust. And you've got Sasha's aunt, Marie Brassard, if not... She's nothing if not a pragmatist in this movie. And also appreciated the yin, yin and yang of Sasha's parents who continually argue about how best to handle their recalcitrant but respectful daughter. So humanistic vampire-seeking consenting suicidal person has impact from the get-go when Sasha's having what appears to be an ordinary birthday celebration. That is, until it turns out to be anything but ordinary when the invited clown decides to try some magic. And talking of magic, there's something special about this movie, which I found had a tonal resonance that makes it eminently relatable. I found myself genuinely caring about Sasha and Paul. So I went on the journey with them, wondered how they'd find a way out of the conundrum they faced. And this is more fantasy than gore. I mean, yeah, there are some scenes, but humanistic vampire-seeking consenting suicidal person struck a chord with me and I reckon it's got some spell spellbinding elements. So I enjoyed it. What about you, Jackie? I agree with you, Alex. I went along with it. I liked these characters. We felt we really felt for them. We were with them. And I think some of that was probably because it didn't go on the gory side of vampires too heavily. We didn't we, we saw blood, not a lot of it. And yeah. like some vampire films I've seen where it, you know, it's a gore fest. Um, so we actually, you know, it, it had a little more relatable to real life because of that. Um, I liked the characters. I found the film surprising and delighting. And I couldn't even guess um, where it was going from halfway through. I didn't know how it was going to end. Um, it's more teen romance, um, yes. coming of age story than it is, um, you know, the vampire thing is just a just a, a vehicle for that, I think. The two main characters are just totally cute as buttons um and the, as you said the secondary characters the parents i yeah. it's just real life and they're very amusing and i liked a lot of the humor in it um you know um her cousin denise uh, you know she's got some blood around her face she they hop in the car and she gets the wet wipes out to tidy her up i mean little contemporary touches like that 
I also liked very much Denise's lodgings where Sasha goes to live, this sort of, you know, trendy warehouse sort of set up. You know, there are some rather gory hooks in the corner <laughs> over over the, the chopping bench. But um, apart from that, it's a really moody, blue-grey kind of, you know, trendy setup to live. And I think it just all adds to the mood uh, of the whole film. It's My only surprising was some of the moral issues going on here. Like, really, Paul's um, tendency to depression, although he said that he'd been depressed since he was born because he was born with an umbilical cord around around his neck, which is a rather horrible sort of vision. But, uh, I, you know, the cause of his depression, all that we saw, was the bullying. And, you know, there's no attempt to... Uh, um, get around the bullying issue, uh, and I don't think it's a good enough reason. Um, so they, do suicide. they do address. They do address the bullying. The guy who's doing most of the bullying within the movie. Yes, but not probably in the, not probably in the way that we would hear today. Yes, yes, uh, <laughs> but, but but I mean, it's it's isn't it a what I loved about humanistic vampire seeking consenting suicidal person is it's really you don't know what. If you know nothing about it, you go in there and you think, "Oh my golly, this is a this is a nice little film." Really unexpected. It's a unexpected pleasure, isn't it, Jackie? It's very sweet. It is really very sweet. Uh, they, so we've now got a third movie in this genre that you, you're becoming an aficionado, Jacqueline. Well, three out of how many films? Look, Peter would know how many vampire and zombie films there have been. Hang on, hang on. Why would Pe why would Peter know? He, he, he knows nothing about sandworms, so why would he know about this? <laughs> All right, let's go to Greg then. Greg okay. should know. <laughs> well, don't forget zombie movies. You go back to um, George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead and all those kind of films. So, well, I don't, I don't, Greg. Then the TV series The <laughs> Walking Dead, of course. There you go. No, not course. for me. Not for you. Fair enough. Well, th this is better than Twilight, isn't it, Jackie? Oh, funnily enough, I quite <laughs> You're like Twilight. Twilight. Okay. Oh, sort of. But this like is a... much, much sweeter. No, this hang is on, a hang nice, on. Hang, on. hang on. How many Twilight movies were there? So, Jackie, you're up to like four or five or six movies of the... the... I know. There was a lot about Twilight that I didn't like, and I certainly didn't didn't, um, you know, relate to the characters in a way that this is. I mean, you know, they're deadpan faces. Deadpan, haha. -ha. Ah, yes, very good. Okay, so it's great. I'm really pleased you enjoyed it. And what about you, uh, Greg? Did you sort of get the bite? bite uh, should I bite my tongue or yours? Whatever. Um, as you said, it's a great title there. Um, and I like the romance that developed between Sasha, the sensitive vampire, and Paul, the introverted teenager, um, with suicidal thoughts after being bullied, um, the unlikely relationship that develops between them is the focus of the film there. This is a fresh take on the concept of the vampires living amongst us, but I also thought it had a few thematic connections to films like Let the Right One In and Once Bitten. Um, but the dark, moody lighting, the way it's been shot by cinematographer Sean Pavlis, and that is quite intriguing, um, but it's a black comedy slash coming-of-age story there about this reluctant vampire and um, an introverted teen there. And it doesn't quite play out the way you think it's going to be, but it's got a nice sweet ending. Yeah, it's, that surprise element is, is a beautiful thing, is it not, Peter? 
It is, to some extent. Yes, uh, I agree. I, I, I had a few misgivings about this whole notion of suicide and and uh, and how it's portrayed in the film, but that's from a mental health perspective. But leaving that to one side, there's a few perspectives I want to mention. First of all, we've spoken about Denis Villeneuve, Canadian, and this film, Humanist Vampire, Canadian. So there's, a, there's an interesting theme today in uh, discussing these two films. Secondly, uh, there have been so many vampire films. I mean, Dracula, uh, etc., has featured in, uh, I would say, hundreds of films. I mean, look at The Hammer House of Horror in the 60s. Look at Nosferatu, as you've mentioned, and, uh, and the 1931 Dracula, etc. There's been so many versions. And looking at how uh, vampires can relate to um, sentient beings, if you like to put it that way, in the world. Uh, and we've got, for example, a gross example that's on uh, uh, Netflix at the moment, which is Oscar-nominated, and that's El Conde. And then we've got the more benign sort of uh, elements of vampirism, which we see in uh, Let the Right One In, of course, uh, Twilight and, uh, and other uh, films of that nature. Now, this one, I think, works quite well because it is um, a romance, uh, sort of a romance dressed up as a, a vampire movie with potential for uh, alternative uh, endings, which I won't uh, talk about. And and that's what I liked about the film. It, it did explore some of those aspects quite well. Um, look, the, the whole issue of, uh, of vampires in society is one that uh, deserves a documentary in itself. Um, and uh, and this film uh, would be a, a, an interesting addition to when that. You, sorry, when you say vampires in society, um, you're not actually saying that vampires exist, are you? No, I'm talking about in society as as films depict them. Thank you. Although, yeah, I, thank I, heavens I, for that. Yes. <laughs> although I must say the the vampires that meet sandworms. Now that is a film to watch. Oh my god, <laughs> vampire meets sandworm <laughs> with Harry Potter on the side. Peter, anyway, Peter, that could become a cult classic like The Room. That, that, that that's <laughs> phenomenal, Peter. All right, let's start with you. I want a score out of 10 for humanistic vampire seeking consenting suicidal person, rated M91 minutes. Peter. Yes, I like the film, 7 out of 10. Gregory King. 7 out of 10. Jacqueline Hamilton. I just hedged up a little bit on 7.5. I really enjoyed this film. And I'm doing this deliberately knowing what the scores are going to be. No, I don't, but I'm just presuming, and I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was such a surprise and so delightful as a surprise. Now, we are on JA88FM. If you want to become a member, please do, 54 bucks for the year. Just go to j-air.com.au. We'd love to have you on board. And as a community station, we rely upon people like you being generous as benefactors, if you like, to keep the station running. So, 24 hours a day, there's music, there's entertainment, there's views, there's news, there's all sorts of other bits and pieces. So, tune in and keep tuning in as you are right now. I want to go to a few... I've seen some pretty amazing things. Now, okay, Jackie, do you like slapstick or not? Oh, done well. It's fine. Well, no, I mean, when you say it's fine... First, the first thing that comes to mind is the Three Stooges. Yes, that's it's funny. That's the first thing I think. Of. Greg, do you agree with it? when you think slapsticks? That's the first thing because I mean we're of a certain age, and that's that's yeah, how we. Mister Bean. Yeah. Okay. Um. What about you, Peter? Who you 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 never you never see anything, 
other than when you were forced to at gunpoint. Is that right? <laughs> in the theatre? Sorry, there was, one except, there was one exception where you received an invitation you felt you couldn't per, turn the person down. I remember that recently, correct? Uh, correct. Uh, yeah. But apart uh, from that, uh, yes. you, have to, you, you have to be taken in, in a little white coat with your hand tied behind your back before you go enter a, a theatre, correct? Oh, a, a theatre. So I thought with slapstick you were referring to cinema as well and, of course, Lauren Hardy and uh, Jerry Lewis, etc. But, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm not a theatre person. That's no, no, no. But, but, okay, so going on to the slapstick event, do you... Do you actually, I've never asked you this, Peter. Do you have a favourite genre or not? I I like all genre, genres, but I must say a good solid drama is is one that I prefer. While we're talking about it, I'd say, as far as I'm concerned, I like thrillers. That's my number one. What about you, Greg? What would if you had to pick one? I know it's like picking between children, but I'm asking you to do that, Jackie, in a moment. Yeah, I like thrillers, action movies. Okay, thrillers. Okay, so we've got drama, thriller, thriller. Jackie, my favourite would be unpredictable, quirky films. Ah, so that covers kind of anything from foreign language often um, to, well, it can be a thriller if there are enough twists. Yes. Um, but not sci-fi, not horror, and not usually vampires and zombies and weird right. beasts. Right. So, okay. The reason I'm mentioning all of this is uh, I two nights ago I went to see the opening of Ruthless the Musical. Now, I'm not sure whether you're going to see that one, Greg, or not. But it's put on by Stage Bugs Production at a theatre that bears my name, but it's not my theatre. It's called Alex Theatre in St Kilda. So I'm going to pose this to each of you. If you were to say, I'm going to use the word talent. Now, okay, is talent something that is, like I can look at something and say, isn't that wonderful? Aren't they talented? And you, Greg, could look at the same person and say, golly, they're over the top, et cetera, et cetera. So surely talent's in the eye of the beholder. It's not something that, or is it universal? What, what, what's your view, Greg, on that? Yeah, everyone has a different opinion, I'd imagine, on what, what, what talent is, yeah. Well, I mean, is, is there something, if there's one human being, like, I mean, Albert Einstein, I would have thought that he would be regarded as incredibly talented by everyone, or am I wrong, Jackie? Oh, gee, jumping from slapstick to Einstein, my well, brain is because it's rolling up. It's one. Well, I, I would say talent and skill have um, a more objective mm -hmm. to be assessed than something, for example, such as humour, which is a very subjective thing. So, um, you know, I might say someone is, a, you know, a very talented comedian, but if you don't like that that style of humour, uh, you wouldn't agree. Whereas if you saw, um, you know, some gymnastics, um, you know, Olympic gymnastics, you could barely dispute if someone does a great routine that they're in fact talented. Mm. No, it's, it's a very, very good good way of putting it. Peter, do you want to jump in here or what's your view of talent? Well, a talent is very uh, subjective and, and, of course, it's whether you're born with uh, an ability that can be developed or whether uh, you develop that ability without having been born with that. It, it, I mean, there are so many different perspectives on talent. It needs to be fleshed out a lot more. Well, okay, so with Ruthless the Musical, and it's Ruthless with an exclamation mark, 
talent, who has it and who doesn't. And I, I would say it's a word readily bandied about, but it's fair to say the talent gets down to the eye and obviously with a musical, the ear of the beholder. So that's the subject of this absurdist slapstick musical. That's the reason I'm using it in the, the same breath, Jackie. It was first performed off-Broadway in 1992. So I'm not aware that it's been here before. It may have been, but if it has, I hadn't seen it. It's a rollicking spoof of classic shows like Gypsy and Mame. And also, I don't know whether you saw this as a movie. I suppose this would be either you, Greg, or um, or Peter. Did you see The Bad Seed, the movie? Oh, yes, yes, uh, from yeah. the 50s. Yes, yes, indeed. So it's a spoof of, of that kind of genre. So you've got the central player is an eight-year-old called Tina Denmark, played by an adult, Louisa Oro, and she longs to be a star, and she'll stop at nothing to get there. And she has more talent in her little finger than her adopted housewife mother, Judy, played by Brittany Leslie, who flits about alone without her frequently absent husband. And an oft-used gag in Ruthless the Musical is that we hear his name enough but never get to see him. Into their lives steps a larger-than-life talent agent called Sylvia St. Cra, played by Dolly Diamond. And Sylvia St. Cra saw Tina perform at a senior's home and was immediately enamoured. So St. Cra convinces the mother, Judy Denmark, to allow her daughter to leave school to pursue fame and fortune. Now, okay. We, we have to suspend belief here, Jackie, because she's eight years of age, right? And you imagine a talent agent saying to your the parent, well, she shouldn't go to school anymore. She should just you know, seek Broadway fame. Wouldn't happen. But there you go. We suspend belief. So only before this can happen, because the mother does agree, Tina desperately wants the lead role as Pippi Longstocking in the school musical, right? So you get the sense of the absurd in terms of what I'm talking about. And this school musical is being orchestrated by the teacher known as Miss Thorne, played by Stephanie Astrid John. Now, Gregory King, as a teacher, have you ever, ever in your life been involved in a school musical? No. Would you like to be? Not particularly. But you're into theatre, you know. You could play an important party. You could be the dramaturge. You could be, you know, you could get involved if you wanted to. I'm just putting it out there. And Peter... You who counsel sort of school-type students, I mean, would you like to get involved uh, knowing nothing whatsoever about theatre? Sorry. I just <laughs> Absolutely not. That would be my uh, worst nightmare. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, among those Tina's up against is 10-year-old Louise Lerman, played by Olivia Sherralambu. And she is the entitled, disinterested and talentless daughter of uber-wealthy parents. So surprise, surprise, not, Tina lucks out and is enraged. So Louise Lerman gets the role. This is when the talent agent Sylvia St. Cras suggests that Tina become the understudy, ready to step in at a moment's notice if Lerman is unavailable to take the stage for the show's one performance, right? So you've got a, an understudy for a performance that will only be performed once, right? There we go. And with a devilish smile, Tina accepts. Treachery is afoot. And the musical Ruthless takes off from there with revelation after revelation following. And that includes seeing the mother, 
Judy Denmark well and truly shrug off the talentless housewife tag, as well as shocking family secrets being revealed. The music's by Marvin Laird, lyrics and book by Joel Paley. Everything in this, in the clearly outrageous production played strictly for laughs, is camped up. So with affectations at the ready, the cast go for the Doctor. Why wouldn't they? After all, over the top is the name of the game, and that includes ear-piercing solos. And, you know, some of the voices are very good, but I tell you what, I had to actually put my hand over my ear. I thought my eardrums were going to burst at certain times here. But, you know, that's the whole point. So you might want to consider taking, uh, what what do you call them? The things you stick in your ear? Earplugs, right? The the frivolity, rather, is infectious. The one-liners come thick and fast. As Sylvia St. Croix, Dolly Diamond is totally at home. She owns the stage. She pouts. She pontificates. Brittany Leslie milks Judy Enmark's naivete and more, while Louisa Oro's facial expressions underpin Tina's two-faced persona. And I was particularly taken by the performance and also the singing, the vocal proclivity of Stephanie Astra-John as the teacher and wannabe actor. Olivia Sharalambal Sharalambu is a hoot as a precocious youngster and she also plays the scheming maid to a Tony Award winning star. Emma Claire Waxman shines as Tina's grandmother who um, is open to more than a tipple shall we say. Damien Jones well he's done a really fine job with the set designs homely setting giving way to Broadway glamour after interval. Frocked and flouncy described some of the costuming by Again, Brittany Leslie. So this is heaps of fun. It's wild, it's wacky, but at two and a half hours, including interval, it feels stretched to me, particularly in the first act. Having said that, I reveled in the amped up skullduggery in act two. Thought that worked very, very well. It's directed by Chelsea Matheson, musical direction from Dave Barclay and Ned Dixon, playing at Alex Theatre in St Kilda, until the 24th of March. It's called Ruthless the Musical, but put on by Stage Bugs Production. Productions, plural. One thing that I should mention at this point is that Alex Theatre is a great venue. It is easy to park around uh, because they're metered parking, except when the Grand Prix is on. But, you know, it's really easy to get around. And it's it's really growing as a venue. I've looked at what's coming up and I know they, you know, they were struggling to get shows. They know, I mean, they're at the stage now, they're putting on a lot of different shows and a lot of the shows are increasing in terms of, if you like, their professionalism. And I like that. I think it's going on a really good trajectory. Uh, trajectory. And um, I would urge people to support what is good local theatre. Look, I'd call this a semi-professional show. Uh, you know, it is a professional show, but, you know, it, it's not something that I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see this done by the creme de la creme of actors put on at maybe the comedy theatre. I'd like to see what, you know, whether it would, um, could hold its own in that sort of uh, venue. I think it could. Um, and bear in mind, this was an off-Broadway show. So Jackie, like the humanistic vampire seeking suicidal person, it is, um, it's that kind of production. Do you think that this would appeal to you or not, Jackie? Jackie's left us. Oh, she's left us. Well, then that's that's no good. She she's she's got out of. What what about you, Greg? Given what we've talked about, do you think this would appeal to you? Probably not. Oh, okay. Well, 
only because of the, the, the comparisons to a movie that you quite liked. Peter, I'm not even going to ask you, not even going to bother. If it was a movie, you'd see it, though, wouldn't you, eh? Eh? Oh, if it was a movie, perhaps, but uh, it doesn't sound overly appealing. I think I prefer to see The Bad Seed from 1956. Oh, there you go. Yes, very good. Okay, so that's it on now. Ruthless the Musical at Alex Theatre. The, a couple of other things, and we're, we're, we won't have time to sort of go into the fine detail, but I, I think it is certainly men- worth mentioning uh, a couple of shows that are on at the moment. There is Dry Land. Now, th- this has got a very, very um, incendiary title. It's called The Explosives Factory. It's part of Theatre Works, and I presume it used to be an explosives factory, hence the name. I, I'll have to research that. But um, have you been there, Greg, or not? Explosives? No. Okay. It's up- I'm still doing a job with a bang. Yeah, thank you. It's upstairs. It's sort of a, this hole in the wall, and you, sort of you walk up these very, very steep st- set of stairs, very narrow, steep set, set of stairs, and you've got this theatre. Wonderful. Anyway, dry land. It's put on by Flatpak, and it's got a lot to say about abortion, female friendships, and being a teenager. But it does take a long time to say it, and it's the brainchild of an American playwright called Ruby Ray Spiegel. And back in 2014... Dry Land, which was her first full-length play, premiered again off-Broadway. Spiegel was 21 years old and still a playwriting student at Yale University at that time. Isn't that a remarkable achievement, right? You're you're studying and you've suddenly got a play premiering off-Broadway that I think initially went for over a year. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing, isn't it, Greg? eh? Something something like that. So this is on at TheatreWorks at the Explosives Factory and... um, it, it's 90 minutes without interval. Uh, and look, I, I liked it. I thought, again, it, it could have been done in closer to 65 minutes, maybe, or 70 minutes. I thought the, uh, the I found the first 45 minutes dragged. But other than that, I found it re- there's a really interesting dynamic between a couple of friends here. And um, I, it, it's, it's worth considering. Dry land at TheatreWorks Explosives Factory. So the, I, I should say... That is on until the 9th of March. And the other thing that I wanted to mention before we left for the day is a really good production, outstanding production called The Hate Race at Malthouse Theatre. And racism comes in many forms and from many quarters. It can strike, well, with the speed of a bullet train. That's the subject explored in a dramatic but also a very humorous way through a series of anecdotes from the coloured English daughter of West Indian parents. And it's a really... The play's writer is Maxine Beniba Clark, originally wrote the piece as a memoir, which became a bestseller, and thereafter she adapted it for the stage. So this is very much her story, and it's told through remarkable acting from Zara Newman, who I raved about in an MTC production. She just assumes the character of Maxine, the playwright. And, and others of significance in Maxine's life. And it starts with her first day of preschool and it, it basically goes through until she's a, a young mother. It's it's amazing. And it's also got a musical element and the, the musician in this is absolutely brilliant. Um, a smooth voice, velvety. Her name is Kuda Mapisa, and I yearn to hear more of, of her. It's brilliant production. It really is. This one is excellent. 65 minutes without interval, playing at Beckett Theatre at Malthouse Theatre until the 17th of March. And the other one I will be talking about next week, also on at the Malthouse Theatre, is Yentl, which I saw last year at, I think it was Fairfax 
studio at Art Centre Melbourne. So they've brought it back and I'm really looking forward to seeing that one and I will talk about it with you next week. That is it, folks. First on Film and Entertainment, over and out.